and a good theological Thursday to everyone out there. I am James Crockett. He is Dre Clark. We are happy to have you back with us today, wherever you are listening from. Thank you for taking some time out of your day to join with listening to our discussion and hopefully dialoguing with us. We encourage you, you can get in touch with us and follow us on Facebook at you search Good Theological Thursday. We have a page there, or you can contact us more personally through email at goodtheologicalthursday at gmail.com. With all that said, let's go ahead and get into today's episode. Dre, how are you doing? I'm doing good, and so um, we are recording this episode a week earlier since we've got some uh, some weeks we're out, and um, my tea, James, is cold, and so I make a pot of tea for every recording, and um, we just did one, and I, I drank my whole tea, and I have like one little thing left, and it's all cold, and so it's a, it's <laughs> a, it's a new problem for me, so that's that's my crisis right now. But I'm doing good <laughs> yeah. other than that. I'm doing good. First world problems, man. That's right. But uh, yeah, we, we have to record this. Uh, Dre, you and I are about to hit the summer and it gets very busy. And so sometimes we're going to have to record episodes back to back and release them at different times. So this is one of these instances. So you and I don't really have anything to talk about new coming up in the week because at this present moment, that week hasn't happened yet. So, but um, with all that, we don't have to talk about that. So let's move into our weekly recommendations for the week. Dre, what would you recommend for this episode uh, this week? Yeah, so uh, another book um, that I've been listening to once again on Audible. I love Audible. It's uh, it's just a nice way to kind of read stuff that I don't normally get to read. But there's a book called Canoeing the Mountains. I've actually started this one a couple months back, and I've been kind of on and off listening to it. Um, but the idea is it follows um, church growth strategies and leadership strategies just in general um, from the perspective of Lewis and Clark and just kind of how uh, when Lewis and Clark set out, like they had one idea of what their exploration of the West would be, and it was totally different. So they were just completely unprepared. And so talking about this, the, the current cultural climate and how do we how do we navigate a world that is not maybe what we were ready for? Maybe the things that used to work or the things that we thought would work just don't apply because the terrain is different than we've ever seen before. And so um, I think it's a great book. I've been listening to it for a while, and I think it's a really good listen for anybody um, in that leadership position. So Canoeing the Mountains, it's on Audible. And in print too. Awesome. I, I would recommend, so yeah, this book called dangerous calling. It's by Paul David Tripp. This is a book that's been very influential in my life. I highly encourage, especially anyone who is going into full-time ministry or even part-time ministry, doing the work of the pastorate. I highly recommend this book. You know, I grew up in a pastor's home. I've, you know, now been doing ministry for, I guess eight years now, and there are definitely certain challenges that come when you live in ministry life. And unfortunately, I have observed throughout my life so many pastors who have burned out, or people who have been in the ministry and just have walked away from ministry for various reasons, whether it was burnout or whether it was being caught in a sin. And so, this book, Dangerous Calling, really delves into that of what are some of the th- the cautions and the things you need to look out for while you are in ministry, while also giving advice of how to avoid the pitfalls of ministry and talking about, you know, some of the important things of, you know, making sure that you are being invested into and making sure that you not, you're not living out on an island. Uh, but I would, 
highly encourage anyone going into ministry to read this work, Dangerous yes. Calling by Paul David Tripp. Absolutely. I, I completely affirm that. That book is just a must-have for anybody just considering or that's in, it's maybe not even considering going in, but it's already in ministry. I think it's just a, an important work. Um, Paul David yeah. Tripp is, you know, he's a counselor for pastors is kind of um, what he does now. And and so, yeah, yeah. great, great book. Really yeah. strongly recommend it. It is. Yeah. It is. Very encouraging. <laughs> All right. So uh, last week, um, which was today, but we talked about uh, we talked about this idea of let go and let God. And so we want to encourage our listeners to go back and um, go listen to that podcast. And just as we explore what's known as the uh, holiness, uh, holy, holy life uh, theology and um, the holiness movement and um, Keswick theology is another name for it. Um, but I think it's just a good podcast, um, really important stuff as it deals with uh, the practical aspects of our Christian faith from a theological perspective. And so we encourage you all to go back and listen to that podcast uh, from last week. Yeah. And James, let's go ahead and jump into our uh, our main discussion for today. And so we're going to kind of do a, a quicker little episode on Bible translations, yeah. Bible translations. So, uh, James, what is a Bible translation and uh, what, you know, you're, you're, are you telling me that the Bible that I'm reading right now is is uh, translated from something else? Is that the case? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so we came up with this episode. I actually had this this topic recommended to me, or you know, uh, one of actually our young adults in our ministry was like, "Hey, it'd be really cool if y'all did an episode on this." So this is something that I I really enjoy discussing. I think is really helpful, and I think a lot of people have misunderstandings about what the Bible translation actually is. You know, Dre actually grew up in around circles of people who were King James Version only people. Yeah. And so this is, <laughs> I am not. Um, I don't know if I want to get fully into why all the, what I would call the erroneous ideas behind the King James Version only movement. Uh, that's not really my focus today, but, or that's not really our focus today, but we want to talk about that. I, I think there is a lot of misunderstanding on Bible translations and what we are to do with them. So yes, a Bible translation is a translation, right? I mean, this, that sounds like duh, Captain Obvious, uh, maybe, but it is. And, and, and it's important to understand that what a translation actually does. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think we can misunderstand. And so this goes into maybe we should start with translation methodologies, right? So you basically have a lot of times people describe it as two basic translation methodologies. And I don't know if these are always the most helpful, but these are kind of um, actually Bill Mounts, who does a lot of work in this, would actually give you three different methodologies. But so you have to, one is called, the technical terms here are a formal equivalent mm -hmm. and a dynamic equivalent. So a formal equivalent, maybe the best way to say it, it's a direct translation. I don't want to say it's a word for word translation because yeah, those are... Those are basically impossible. If you know anything about language, it doesn't. Language doesn't work that way. Uh, Bill Mounts actually he gave an interesting lecture on this, and he was talking about uh, so some of this idea. Some people describe formal equivalents as they are literal translation, yeah. and he would argue that there really actually is no such thing. And I would agree because he, he so he did an experiment. He's like, so I tried to see if I could even take John eleven thirty five and do a literal translation 
with John 11, 35. So we all know this is one of the shortest verses in the Bible. Jesus wept. And so he goes to translate it and he said, actually, basically, if you did it very literally, words for word, you would have to translate it like wept the Jesus, which (laughs) in English makes zero sense. So we need to understand that there is actually no such thing as a literal translation because it's not really possible. So, Formal equivalents are direct translations, uh, it would probably be the better term. And then you have dynamic equivalents, which are more of natural language translations. Uh, some would call these paraphrases, which you could actually argue that even a paraphrase is a whole other different methodology. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You can even argue that there is something called a functional equivalent, right? Um, mm-hmm. Where it's, yeah, it's more of you're just looking at the function. So, Translations always involve, no matter what level you get at, whether it's a direct translation or a indirect translation or a natural language or any of these categories I refer to, each one involves some level of interpretation, mm. right? Yeah. That we, we have to do whenever you're translating languages over. I mean, this is even true of modern day languages. If you're going from English to Spanish, sometimes, you know, I've, I've done preaching in um, different countries where I've had to work with a translator and I'll say a sentence that for me is like 10 words and they seem to go on for like three minutes, but it's because they don't have a direct way to convey that meaning of what I said, they actually actually have to explain the meaning of some sort of phrase I gave. So I I think it's important right off the top to point out that every translation involves some level of interpretation. Yeah. I say it this way kind of to, to really simplify what you said and kind of just for pedagogy, um, words don't convey reality. Words don't Mm. convey reality. Words convey ideas that lead us to reality. And so, yeah. so what, what you're always doing whenever you're doing a translation from one written w- verbal language to another is you have, to, it's this process of taking the word to figure out, okay, what is the idea and then lead that into the reality of it. Um, yes. and, and so that process just does not match even, even within the same culture, even within the same language. Um, this, we have a problem with this. And so you have, um, different parts of people will use different parts of, of, of cultures will use the same word and mean different things by it, depending on where you're at and location. So, so I think that, that intrinsically in a translation, I think we can't get away from the idea that this, does involve interpretation to some extent. And so how much interpretation are we, are we allowing or how much interpretation are we um, kind of fluffing up is really the difference in, in, in what I, I hear you saying, you know, if we try to really mm-hmm. cut it out and keep it as just wooden as possible, which is impossible, what you just said. I mean, it really is impossible to have just a complete straight translation. Um, but we're trying to, we're trying to, to simmer it down to just the basic, okay, this is what we know is being said. Um, that would be, that's one way. Or do we want to fluff it up a whole bunch and maybe you get into a paraphrase where it's just, yeah, we're just kind of really interpreting this sucker really, you know, a whole bunch and changing it. And we're also changing it into ideas that fit the culture that we're talking to that may not fit another one, even though it may be within the same language. And so, um, you get a, you get a broad spectrum here, but I think the idea is that you can't just take one word and switch it over to another reality. You have to go through the ideas. You have to go through this process of of interpretation and how much interpretation are we going to allow in? Um, yeah, is a big part of it. 
Yeah, Dre, you're hitting on something. Uh, you basically have meaning versus word. <sighs> and whenever Bible translators are working to translate the Bible from its original, you know, we know the New Testament Greek and Old Testament Hebrew and some Aramaic, mm-hmm. whenever you are translating from that, that you are trying to convey the meaning of every word, not necessarily every Greek and Hebrew word itself. So that means basically, so sometimes there will be a word in Greek or word in Hebrew that we really don't have an English word for. And what you have to do then is you actually, you actually have to use a few different words. Like maybe you have to use a phrase to actually translate the word itself. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and this, and again, you know, this happens in language itself in general, where you do have to, there are English words that we use that people in other countries that use other languages, they don't have a word for our specific English word. And so mm-hmm. they have to use multiple words to describe what that English word actually means. Yeah. And so that's, uh, and it's a, a very important thing to point out. Absolutely. Um, that, 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 that's what we're doing. That's what's happening when the Bible is being translated into these different translations. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so then James, the next question that kind of leads into this is, um, so are some translation, are some translations truly better than others? Um, inherently yeah. better than others. What are your thoughts on that? I think part of this is you have to depend what you're going to use a translation for. Yeah. Right. So, so let's quickly, I'm going to quickly cover just a spectrum of, maybe this will be helpful of, we used a lot, I, I used a lot of different terms to describe different methodologies for translations. So just to kind of run through them real quickly. So for direct translations, you know, what some people would call literal, even though I've kind of already said that that's actually not a really helpful term, but for the more direct translations, you're going to have like your new American standard Bible, mm-hmm. your English standard version, you're going to have your, the, the Christian standard Bible, or what was formerly known as the Holman Christian standard Bible, mm-hmm. um, the revised standard. So these are some of these for your functional equivalent or like kind of maybe not quite a direct translation. It's probably more in the middle between a direct translation and then a natural language or paraphrase. Mm-hmm. You're going to have the NIV, uh, in your natural language or a dynamic equivalent, which is more not as concerned about being direct, but more concerned about conveying the concept, uh, that's going to be like the New Living Translation. And then for paraphrases, that um, Malice would actually argue that that's not the most adequate term, but it's basically like mm. trying to take a verse and then just paraphrase it and convey here's the main point of this verse. So yeah. this is going to be like the Living Bible and the message. Yeah. Um, and again, for each of these, it's really about what purpose are you using them? What I always say is, okay, if you want to be maybe a more serious student of the Bible, I would recommend a direct translation. That way you're getting the closest that we can actually get to what the original Greek and Hebrew is saying, yeah. which again, I'm emphasizing this is the closest we can get uh, some now and, and I'm not, to, and it's not to say that you have to know Greek and Hebrew to completely understand the Bible. Hmm. Um, that's the other problem we can get to here. But yeah. this will be this will help you be probably the closest to what what these languages are saying. Yeah. But if if you're maybe looking to, hey, I'm having a hard time understanding this verse, you could even use a natural language like the New Living Translation or even the paraphrase. But you have to understand what each what each translation is doing. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to read a paraphrase, understand that it is a paraphrase. 
Um, I would say the message and the new and the, the living Bible, I would actually almost say they're more like commentaries than they are actually translations. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, you know, when it comes to this question, you know, which which translation is better better than others? This is what I, I've learned to consistently start saying to people is the best translation is the one you'll use. Um, mm. I, I think that more often than not, when I talk with people, it's people are not really reading their scriptures. They don't really have a, a set plan. They're not really diving into it. They're not really doing Bible study. And so, um, I just encourage people, whatever, whatever one you're going to use, that's the best one for you. Cause that's the very first step is let's just, let's quit mm-hmm. arguing about, you know, you, I've done this before. Like you, you go to write a paper, you go to do a project and you spend so much time on the, on the, external stuff. I did this back whenever I was in elementary, right? We do these like science fair projects and I'd spend so much more time on the board and, and the idea of it before I'd actually do the actual work of the project. Um, and so I always just encourage people don't, don't get so caught up on that. They're all pretty good. I mean, um, even the ones that are bad, they, they still are going to challenge you. They're still useful for study. Um, in fact, whenever you're studying, I recommend you use all of them. I mean, we there's no reason not to use. We have so much technology. Mm. Um, you don't have to have the physical yeah. Bibles anymore. You have to go purchase them. I and mean, we have so much technology uh, today. And so um, use a couple. I mean, if you're really going to do it well. But um, but as far as just your your first you know moment, whatever's going to get you there. Um, I tend to use ones myself personally that have a lot of uh, kind of footnotes at the end. You know, I, I want I want yeah. translations that that do take me back to the Greek and Hebrew whenever I want to be kind of lazier and I don't want to actually yes. read it in the original language and I just kind of want to do a quick read for myself um, in my native tongue per se. Um, but I do want to have notes that are saying, hey, that are reminding me of, oh, this this is this verb or this is this tense or this is uh, what's going on or here's some historical notes or whatever it may be. Um, and so whenever I'm doing just like a quick read, I, I, I use translations that have those. Not that those things are inspired or that those things are um, errorless, but um, but they just kind of point me to some key, key markers um, yeah, but yeah, so I, I yeah. think that there's tons of them out there. I think get the one you're going to use, get to, get to reading it. Whenever you're doing deep study, use a whole bunch of ones. Um, I don't, I don't yeah. agree with, I don't think any of the translations there's, I don't think there's one out there that I completely agree with, you know, um, on any of them. I've done, yeah. I, I, if I'm in the new Testament, I use one version. If I'm in the old Testament and depending on what book I'm in, I may switch around to which one I'm, I'm aligning with the most. Um, but I, I do, I jump yeah. around a lot, so I'm not very consistent. Yeah. <laughs> Dre, I don't think what we are, what we're not, we're not necessarily saying that like all translations are created equal. Yeah, um, yeah. We're probably we're not getting into that. But what I would say is, hey, the abundance of translations we have, we need, we could see that as a blessing. Yeah. The fact that we actually have so many, and when we understand that translation always invert involves interpretation and involves a little bit of a human element, right? It, it, having multiple that we can look at mm-hmm. can actually be very helpful in our Bible study. I, I would say one thing. So I was actually asked this a couple weeks ago. So just giving an example. So a lot of people love to give the message Bible a hard time mm-hmm. or, um, and so I had a student ask me what I thought about it. And I said, well, I would say number one, you have to understand what that Bible was meant. Mm-hmm. So whenever Eugene Peterson was the guy that was kind of behind this translation, but he didn't actually mean it to be a translation. He meant it to be a way he was writing a paraphrase as a way to explain the scriptures to his people. Mm -hmm. So you need to approach that, that 
version with that in mind yeah. of and yeah. so that's I think that's another important thing I would also say well and, and on that looking, one too it's really important yeah, to know, yeah. Eugene Peterson like he he knew Greek and Hebrew fluently like he studied that he had he had degrees in that and that and so he wasn't just taking what some paraphrases do they take the English versions and they paraphrase English together he was actually working from the original text too and so yeah um, but yeah he's he's definitely doing more of a highly interpretive thing on it um so yeah. I, I don't even call it a paraphrase but but yeah, he's doing something. Yeah. He's basically preaching a little sermon, but but keeping it more yeah. close to the Bible. And so, yeah, it's a it's a great yeah. great so, tool. Yeah, so that's what I would call it. I would call it a tool. Like I I, th- I don't think it should be the main one you read, but I do think it's a tool. Um, I would also say that whenever you're looking for translations, my recommendation is is I'm always hesitant of any translation that is only interpreted by one guy. Yeah. Right. So we. We, we talk about this. So N.T. Wright, who's one of the foremost New Testament scholars, I very much respect him, but he came out with this new translation called the Bible for Everyone. Mm-hmm. And it's his translation of the New Testament. And I would call that a tool, but I would have a hard time that being my primary translation because mm-hmm. what I want is knowing the complications that happen in interpreting a board of translators and interpreters, highly trained I think is a more optimal way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. In my opinion, absolutely. So. Yeah, and, and really, and I give you another give you another example too. This one might be kind of shocking, but um, really, this is this is once again it's the nitpicky stuff. Um, I I had a project this semester where I was reading through the Queen James Bible. Um, it's a Bible produced by <laughs> yeah. the LGBTQ, um, and I was looking yes. at, at those interpretations, especially on about seven key verses that really deal with um, some of these topics of of. Of sexuality. And, um, you know, and for the most part, I was like, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable with this. Like, I'm okay. I think this is a, I think it's, it's scripture, you know, um, maybe I wouldn't have made all the interpretive calls and maybe there's a couple areas that I'd want to debate. But for the most part, yeah. reading through the, through this, what I read through it, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was in bounds of the language. It was in bounds of a translation. Um, wouldn't be the one I'd use on a daily basis. But, um, so, so I want to be really clear is that, you know, the same with the message, same with these other ones is that, if if people are working from the text and you've got people that are putting an effort in, you're going to be pretty close to where we're at. Um, there are definitely some key passages that are just hard to translate. Romans 5 is extremely difficult to translate. Um, yes. And uh, so there's a couple of those that, that on those you're really going to want to dive in and look at how people are treating it. But um, yeah. but for the most person, yeah. I really don't think translation is going to be a, a a big deal. I mean, especially with, with technology and stuff we have now. I mean um, – I think we're going to be pretty close. Now, yeah. if there's somebody that has a direct agenda, um, you know, then you want to be aware yeah. of that. So the Queen Jane's Bible, you know, like I said, I was, I was pleasantly surprised that I did not see an agenda necessarily um, abuse the text. Um, but there are some definite other cults out there that'll be very, that'll apply some very abstract rules of Greek or do some things that never happened in the Greek language that are, or the Hebrew, yeah. you know? And so you got to be careful of those. But um, once again, I yeah, think, like I a think, per- yeah. A perfect example of that is like the Jehovah's Witness Bible yeah. where they'll take John 1.1 1, 1, and they'll say, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was a God. Yeah. So that's their way of saying that Jesus was not truly equal with God. Well, what they what they ignore is a uh, – we'll get into a fun – so Greek term. This is, this is a rule called the Granville-Sharp rule, yep. which has to do with if the article appears uh, before – um, I'm probably going to butcher my explanation of this, but 
Um, if the if the article appears before a noun in one clause and a subsequent clause follows it where the same noun yes. is used, the article carries over yeah. and it applies to both. That's right. And so that's a the Jehovah's Witness Bible is a clear agenda behind it and a clear ignoring of that rule. Yeah. Um, even so, I haven't read the Queen James Bible, but I would be you know very hesitant of it honestly because there is a clear agenda behind it and yeah. so i think that is another big thing is when you're looking at translations you know look at what is the actual motivation behind the translation yeah um and be wary of those yeah and so i, th- I think with that i think maybe you'll agree with me on this james what, what i what i'm trying to point out i think what 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 we're saying is that um there is a difference in in reading our Bibles kind of I wouldn't say leisurely. We should never do that. I think we should always be in Bible study. But there's there's a difference between just, you know, familiarizing ourselves with the concepts or getting the concepts of the Bibles just in our in our daily reading moments uh versus a in-depth study time. And and I and I think that we should yes. always drive towards in-depth study time. I really think that that's where the benefit of it comes. I think that I think the Bible is created for that. I think that's what what's clear in scripture that we're meant to do with it was where you utilize this. Um but as far as your first encounter with it, as far as your first um um you know, I think first encounter is probably a good way to think of it. You know, I, you're going to be fine with these. And as you kind of get going with it, you know, like I said, the, the best translation is the one you're going to use at first because that's getting you into the word, getting you into scripture. Yeah. Um, and then from there on, let's, let's teach you, let's disciple you and say, how do we, how do we go deeper? How do we use some different tools? How do we, how do we actually, um, navigate the particulars of these things and really get the richness out of it? Um, yeah. and, and really get the, the deeper no. meaning. So, yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Um, maybe one other thing I want to quickly talk about Dre is I have another question. How does our view of inspiration affect our view of translations? Cause yeah. uh, I would imagine, I would imagine the objection we might get, well, you know, we believe in verbal inspiration of the Bible. Yeah. And so this idea of, okay, what these paraphrases, they're not being faithful to our view of inspiration. So what would you say to some of that? Yeah. And, uh, and our, our friends across the pond will probably, uh, disagree with some of the way that we do this too. And I think that, um, we're in a culture that's, you know, plenary verbal inspiration is definitely being, yes. being, uh, I don't know if I'd say attacked, but definitely highly reevaluated. It's been the honest truth. It's been being reevaluated since the enlightenment, you know, um, uh, Dr. Barth and right. some of these other guys really start this movement. But, um, yeah, the, the difference is, 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 do you believe that, do you believe that, that, let me, let me phrase it this way. If, if God is involved in this process of, of the Bible, right? The question is, is, is how much, you know, how, how much, how much of it is the humanness side of it and how much is the, the divine side of it? Um, mm-hmm. and so I think that's, that's the question of how, whenever you're talking about how does inspiration really affect our translation is, um, how much liberty per se did the authors have and how much of it was, you no, know, this is like God is literally speaking to them saying, write this word down. Yes. Um, you know, that's, yeah. that's kind of the, the debate and that's kind of where you're going to have to, um, where everybody's going to have to really think through their line of, of where they're at on it. Um, and yeah. so, so yeah, I, I think that where you, where you come on that is going to decide, okay, so is every single word meant to be that word or do we, can we kind of play around a little bit and say, well, in this moment, Paul is, um, you know, he's, he's messed up or he said something or he put the wrong ending on it or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. And, and, and now we can change that. The scribes would do this too. They would, they would kind of reevaluate. Yeah. Well, he couldn't have meant that. Um, he just had the wrong, you know, ending or the wrong, you know, tense or whatever it may be. Um, right, right. And so, so yeah, depending on how you view that, it's going to depend on how you, how will you treat it? You know, whenever, 
whenever it says this, is this, you know, how, how literal do you take it in that sense? Um, so yeah, any thoughts yeah. on that, James? Yeah, I think this goes back to meaning versus words. So, yeah, uh, what, what you describe, God, uh, you know, saying this is exactly what you will write. We would call that dictation theory, and most yeah. people would not accept that. The idea that you know the way the Scripture describes itself, you know, when Peter describes that men as wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God, it, there is an involvement of human personality. And you read it, right? You read that mm-hmm. Paul writes differently than James, and James writes differently than Peter. And yeah. and, and the Gospels themselves are proof, you know, the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are proof that there are different writing styles here going on. And so human personality is involved in this. And so we wouldn't necessarily that say the dictation is a helpful theory. The problem is, and so I want to be careful how I say this uh, because I don't want people to misunderstand what exactly I'm saying, but Bill Mounts, I think gave, you know, I I was able to sit in. uh, I think you and I both have sat in on lectures that he's given in on this, but he, he gave a really helpful statement. He says, when we say that God intended every word without overriding human personality, Mm -hmm. we remove all mystery of inspirations yeah. We, in essence, affirm dictation theory. So we have to be, I guess we have to be a little careful with saying that mm-hmm. God intended every single word as it was written without overriding. Like, and so that the God allowed some freedom in human personality and how they were to phrase certain things. Yeah. Now, I, I think that God didn't necessarily allow bad phrasing. So let's say maybe a good balance here is that God wasn't going to allow someone to write some phrasing that just was not accurate with what he was saying. But that, I think the most important thing is meaning yeah. and yeah. that, and this is, this is where we get into translation issues is yeah. there is meaning involved. I mean, one of the other big translation issue is how do you translate certain idioms or metaphors? Mm-hmm. A very famous one of this is um, this phrase that we'll see God forbid. Mm-hmm. Well, and the phrase, but um, the literal, so the, the Greek phrase is meganoito. Yeah. And this phrase literally means something like, may it never be. Yeah. And really all it is is an idiom for a strong, like, affirmation of no, this is not true. Yeah. Right. So yeah. whenever Paul says that, should we continue in sin that grace may abound, meganoito, yeah. may it never be. This strong thing of no, definitely not. And so, and so what, what's more important here? It is, Meaning. Now, I would say, like, I, I do, again, I would err more towards direct translation because when we start delving into more natural language and paraphrase, we bring in more of the human element of interpretation. And so mm-hmm. we maybe give greater chance for error. Um, that, yeah. I think that's something to remember there. Yeah. But to remember that there always is some level of interpreting meaning involved. That's right. Yeah. And, and I would even break it down to this kind of even with the meaning and the content, I break it down into three. And this is what I was taught to do. I break it down into three categories. There's form, there is the content, and there's the doctrine, right? There's the teaching of it. Yeah. Um, and those are the three categories that I think that we have to say, okay, which one is human, which one's divine? And so I personally hold that the form is human. The form, the, the authors mm-hmm. get to arrange this in the way they get to say the things they want to say. The content, though, I think is divine, and the doctrine, I think, is divine. And so, um, yeah. I think, I think if you kind of even put it into those three, you know, it's not simply is it this or this. Um, and, and that's where I kind of land on it is that the form that, that the authors get to have their personalities in the text. They get to use their language. They're going to use their grammar. They're going to make their own spelling mistakes. My goodness, that's their form. But the content and the doctrine and the teaching that's actually 
comes from this, I think, is is divine. So I would hold the Bible as more divine than human, um, you know, yes. than because because I hold the three categories. You know, if you hold the two, then you can yeah. say, well, it's half and half, and that gets people in trouble. But um, so yeah, the form is human, the content is divine, the doctrine is divine. Um, that's my position. Um, as we see the authors kind of arranging and commenting a little bit, and you know, Paul adding in his own little sayings and little stuff like that. You get some of the form in there, um, but yeah. the, but the content, and the doctrine are, I think, are definitely inspired. So yeah, yeah, I think that's helpful. Yeah. Um, we just want to wrap up. Maybe give I'll maybe give some of my advice, and Dre, if you want to add some to it of. You know, we might we we've been talking a little bit about this, but just to kind of answer the question of how do we utilize these translations? Here's my here's what I usually recommend to people: if you want to use a paraphrase, like if you want to use the Message or the Living Bible, or even like a natural language translation, translation like the uh, New Living Translation, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, number one, number one, I would want you to understand: here's what these translations are actually trying to do. So you need to understand that if you're going to understand that translation properly. But I would also say if you are wanting to really deeply dive into what does a passage actually mean um, and dive into deep study of the Bible, I would recommend that you really, I would recommend this for every Christian that you pair. If you're going to use a paraphrase that you pair it with a more direct translation. So that could be the NASB, that could be the ESV or the CSB or whatever. But I, I think for a more well-rounded reading of scripture, that would probably be, the best way to go because you know I look at these paraphrases and sometimes I don't agree with the interpretation that the paraphrase gives. Um, so, uh, and of course, I could even look at direct translations. I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't always I, yeah. agree with how they translate things. Yeah, so, literally. but I think pairing both together um, is maybe the most well-rounded and helpful way to do it. Yeah, and I think it's. I think we need to make sure, like, what are we not agreeing with? You know, once again, I think it's nitpicky stuff. I, I very rarely, yeah. very rarely do, and I may, I can only speak for myself here, but James, but I would ask you, I mean, it, whenever you're disagreeing with the translations, are you disagreeing with major doctrinal issues? Um, are you just, no. are you, yeah, it's, it's normally smaller no. phrasing or maybe, and I think there are important teachings that are in there that maybe we, that, that are really valuable, but it's not, it's not the major stuff. It's not the stuff that's um, that is the essential to the face. It's all kind of secondary, third, tertiary kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And so, and and that's why that's why you know I, I say pick the translation you'll read. Um, even in some of these Bibles that have agendas, um, unless you're really diving down deep and you're trying to get in that, um, you're going to get that the major stuff is going to come through. Um, you know, at least in a, in a in a more clear form. And so, um, yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, kind of on the question of of uh, you know how, how do we you know how do we navigate using the translations? Um, you know, I'm I am very much okay. I work with students all the time, so I'm okay if, if a student is going to read the Message Bible and that and that's the Bible they're going to have with them, or that's the Bible that's going to be the default on their phone because they're just reading it. Um, that makes me happy. <laughs> I mean, I'm yeah, um, yeah. I, I want them to read it, and then then they can come to small groups, they can come to life groups, they can come to Wednesday nights, they can come to our, our events, and we can really do good exegesis. And that's what I I think our churches need to do a better job at. I think whenever you come to the church, that's whenever we really should be doing professional exegesis. That's whenever you should have guys that are that are really doing well and they're handling the text well. They're looking at the original languages and you're kind of getting that that extra dose. But often what happens is we the whole thing has become a shallow process. People aren't reading their Bibles at home and so we get there and now we're getting a message version of from the pulpit and not a not a really in-depth version from the pulpit. And um, I think we've got to move that kind of shift everything down the line a little bit. Have people read and study at home, coming to life groups and community where they're actually going to be able to assess these. And then we're looking at all the different translations and we're working together. Um, and I think theology has to be done in community. I think that 
like we said earlier, not one guy has all the answers. Not one translation has it all right. Um, and I think God designed that so we'd be dependent on each other, that God designed that so we would have conversations um, and that we yeah. – it can't just be me and my coffee cup in the Bible. That's an impossible construct yeah. because it's not. It's me, my coffee cup, and somebody's interpretation of the Bible. Um, and so yeah. God has wired this system brilliantly that we have to come together and do this. And so um, so I think at the, the, yeah. the end game is we've got to have this all together, and, and I think – um, learning to listen to to how we read it and not just what the words are, but the context, the history behind it. There's so much more that goes into a good exegetical process. Um, yeah. And we just got to start doing it. I mean, that's why I said. Let's start the process just by, you know, your first observations, your first encounter with it is where everybody has to start. Um, and then let's dive into yeah. other stuff. And so um, whatever, whatever translation yeah. gets you that first encounter, I'm great with it. Then let's move forward. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, one other quick word, Dre, before we close, um, you mentioned like, you know, you know, whatever translation you start with, no matter the agenda, the only thing I would maybe come back on. And I mean, I think you would probably agree with this is with agendas in translation. If the agenda is like, if it's a doctrinal agenda that would completely disagree with like mm-hmm. Christian doctrine. So like a LGBTQ translation is a, yeah, that's an agenda that's like pretty much against some core Christian doctrine. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's a, you know, Jehovah's Witness Bible that's against some very core Christian doctrine, then those are ones I would be like, eh, I, I wouldn't really, I would very much caution you uh, in diving into those. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I do, I do think we need to maybe make that distinction just to kind of end end it. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I definitely am not. I'm not saying everyone should read the Queen, Queen James. I don't think there's much of an agenda in the in the Queen James version, honestly. Um, so just, but that's my readings of it. But yeah, I, I would say, you know, once again, I, I think that that the process of discipleship has to happen in community and um and we've got to be i think just being aware of this conversation is the key being aware that they're yeah. being aware of what a translation is being aware of what's going on um overall i guess i'm just trying to say like we don't need to be shaming people we don't need to be putting people down just for reading the bible yeah. um, we shouldn't put too much emphasis um on this thing there's an emphasis that needs to be there but um people reading the bible this is not something that we should be um, you know, judging people or saying, oh, you're not, you're not a good enough Christian because you don't have this translation or whatever it may be. Um, I think we need to just allow some space for people to be in a process when it comes to this. And you know, in the sense, everybody has an agenda, you know, um, in that sense too. So that's where I would, you know, we might have to agree to disagree. Um, and once again, I'm not, <laughs> not saying, oh, we should all be reading the, uh, the Queen James version solely. Um, but man, I've got people that, that maybe that's the only one that they'd be willing to read. And I would say, that's great. Let's start there. And, um, you know, so it is a case by case basis in that sense too. Um, I, I'm okay. Even if, you know, if a Jehovah witness comes to my door, I'm like, Hey, let's use your Bible, <laughs> you know, let's oh, yeah, let me, yeah, let, yeah. you know, and so that, that's more of what I'm trying to advocate with that is, is, um, okay. you got to start somewhere. And yeah, clearly once, once you're, you're going and growing, I think that, um, there definitely are better translations than others. And so I, there, I'm definitely going to hold to that. Clearly there yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, if you look at people as in a process, um, yeah. You know, yeah. So that, hopefully, that, hopefully that clarifies my view a little bit more. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think that's a helpful clarification. I wanted to make sure that people kind of understood exactly what you were saying. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I think that's a uh, I think that's a good way to close us out. Uh, hopefully, this was a uh, helpful episode for you in delving into the translations issue. Again, if you have questions for us, you can contact us on our Facebook page at Good Theological Thursday. You can email us at goodtheologicalthursday at gmail.com. If you haven't yet, we would encourage you to follow or subscribe to the podcast either on 
uh, Apple Podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. We encourage you to do that. And if you would like to rate and review the show, uh, that would be uh, we would encourage you to do that, and we would appreciate anything you could do as far as that goes. But Dre, you have anything else? That is it. Y'all have a good theological Thursday. See you next week.